once again, welcome. Welcome to Flagstaff Insight Meditation Community and uh, us joining together here. I'm really looking forward to this evening together. Maybe it's afternoon or morning for one or two of you. Maybe you're in a different time zone. But welcome. Welcome to our community where we come together to explore this spiritual path together. And again, the key word is explore. And I'll be, again, situating it in this spirit of exploration this evening as well. Maybe some of you, like me, your garden is giving you all kinds of gifts. You getting some goodies from your gardens out there? Like we have these little baby carrots that I should probably be letting grow more, but they're so delicious. So just to pull them out is so wonderful. <laughs> and we have abundant Swiss chard and we're getting starting to get cherry tomatoes. And if you have a garden and there are some things that you're harvesting, maybe you could put that in the chat. I would just be so, so curious. That will be kind of a theme, gardening. And we'll get a sense of how it's so central to what the Buddha was teaching, I think. You know, for us, there's green beans and cherry tomatoes, as I said, and Swiss chard and baby carrots. Thanks, Mark. Cherry tomatoes there. So wonderful. Maybe some of you also aphids. Ooh, we'll get to those. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> those also come with gardening, don't they? And oregano. Nice. And as you um, look in the chat of what people are harvesting right now, I want you to reflect, I invite you to reflect on something, which is I've, what I've been reflecting on in terms of gardening, which is, uh, is how these plants, these beautiful plants that feed us, they arise because of all of these certain conditions, right? You have the soil, the water and the sun, and they all come together. And there's a, these conditions give rise to that which feeds us. And in the same way, you can say there's many conditions that have shaped us in terms of being human beings, a whole history of living beings before us, interacting with the environment, the way all those plants in your garden are interacting with the environment that have shaped us as human beings. And then some of the conditions, right, some conditions give these individual characteristics to ourselves and to our plants, you could say. Like, for example, we have parsley, and the parsley was being overshadowed by the, the chard. So they're, they're stringy and their stalks are so long because they needed to get to the sun. And so they were, the, their whole being has been shaped by the individual uh, uh, conditions there. And maybe you've seen the same thing with some of your, your plants there. And in the same way, if you reflect, it's not only this whole huge history that's shaped you as a human being, but probably if we were to go around, we could each name particular conditions that have shaped us as individuals. And some of you might have been here a few weeks ago when we had a guest teacher, Sebene Selassie, talking about conditionality conditions. 
And she was mentioning, you know, if we reflect, you know, if you really reflect on the conditions of another person, maybe that politician that you have a difficulty with, or that colleague, or your boss, whoever it is, the way that we can get a sense of this conditionality is if I had the same exact conditions as that person, I would end up just like them. I would think like them. I would perceive the world like them. I would act like them because of these conditions that give rise. And this is the heart of so much of Buddhism is, is the understanding of conditionality. And you can say that the Buddha was interested in a particular set of conditions. And there were a particular set of conditions that shape our hearts and minds. And these conditions were namely our intentional actions of body, speech, and mind. So why was he interested in, in these? Right? Intentional actions of body, speech, and mind. And it's because it's those conditions within our experience that we have quite a bit of agency over. And quite a bit of agency in terms of being able to, to shape them in a way that leads to our spiritual freedom. And really what I'm talking about here is karma. So karma in Pali, Pali being the early scriptural language of Buddhism, the word is kamma. So karma is in Sanskrit kamma. And it literally means action. And then there's this other word, which I won't get into as much, called vipaka, which means the fruit of an action. And the reason I, I mention this word vipaka is because often when we hear the word karma, it gets conflated with the fruits of our actions, right? You do something bad and you, you have bad karma or bad karma. Really, that's, that's vipaka, that's the fruit of one's actions. So sometimes karma is taken to mean the fruit of an action, but it's, it, it simply means action, and then you have fruits of those actions. So just some examples of this, of intentional actions of body, speech, and mind that lead to the fruits of those vipaka. Like last week, some of you might have been here on Monday night where I spoke about cultivating appreciative joy. It's this ability that we can cultivate where I can see the joy in someone else, else's life and appreciate that joy. It's that sense of, I'm so happy that you're happy. And when I gain skill in that, that you could say mental action or action of the heart, what happens is that it begins to shape my mind and my heart in a certain way. Right? I engage in that, and then what's the, the fruit of that? I feel good. It's really wonderful. And not only that, with repetition, I start to have a sensitivity. It's like I have a, a, a nose that can smell and have a sensitivity to the joy in other people's lives. And then I start to really enjoy the joy of other people's lives, and then I end up with even more joy. So then we see how this action of appreciative joy leads to a certain kind of fruit, more joy in my life that's based on others' joys. This, this, this is karma in a, in a way that you could say is a mental kind of action or a bodily action. You know, I, I'm filled with generosity in my heart and then I give someone a gift. And what's the fruit of that? 
You ever give someone a gift when your, your heart is just filled with generosity? It feels good. Have you noticed that? So I hope you hear how simple this is. We have actions, intentional actions, like some, doing something generous or cultivating appreciative joy, and then it leads to certain fruits. And here, they are wholesome fruits, they're skillful fruits that lead my life in a certain direction with repetition. And then it works the other way too, which is probably more the way karma's talked about. You know what I'm talking about, right? You say something, you know, I say something that hurts someone. I, I say something that's filled with hate or anger in a hurtful way. And if you notice what happens, just in a simplistic way, I feel bad. And not only I feel bad, the other person feels bad. And a lot of times I've just made a mess of a situation because I was unskillful. There's an action and then there's fruits to that action. This is karma. This is the fruits of action. And they're really just conditions, all these actions, just like you have the soil and the water and the sun, and they give rise to certain plants depending upon those conditions. And I want to point out that this is, this is a central teaching in early Buddhism. And to understand this, I think, is a deeper understanding of what it is to be mindful, what it is to be present, what it is to get engaged in loving kindness or in compassion. Because we start to see how conditions, certain conditions give rise to other conditions. And so much of what we're trying to do is cultivate certain conditions to allow them to free our heart. You know, the, the, the Buddha, he would sometimes say that he was a, a particular teacher, a, a kamabadan, which means a teacher of kama, a teacher of karma. This is how he would define himself as a way of bringing centrality though, to, what I, to what I'm talking about. And I bring up gardening because it, it could be that this is what was in his, his mind when he was talking about this. You know, remember he was surrounded by, by an agrarian culture. So everyone around him was farming, was growing. So when he was using these words like this word bhavana, which means to cultivate, as one translator says, he was probably imagining the cultivation of crops. So in the same way, I think there's something really relevant to this thing of cultivating right certain plants and this is what we're doing with this this idea of, of, of karma and the reason i wanted to share it with you tonight is because i i, I want to point out or at least to open up the door that this teaching on karma its intention at least when the buddha taught it was that it was meant to be empowering rather than fatalistic. That it points how our spiritual path can be transformative and also dis dispel so many misconceptions out there about karma and Theravada Buddhism. And again, I want to situate it in the context of our community here. You know, a couple weeks ago, I shared with you the story of the Buddhist teaching to the Kalamas and how he pointed out to them how it's important for them to discover if what he was saying was true or not. 
So this is what we're doing. It's not just about um, believing, it's about exploring. Oh, is what this wise person, is it true or not? Let me see for myself. Not to reasoning, but so I can get a taste of it. And one of the things that the Buddha suggested was to start with this one, you could say, belief that we can, of course, verify to a certain extent. And it's this belief of karma, namely that your actions have consequences. And that those consequences are in part, only in part, determined by your motivation or intention. This is one quote that, that really exemplifies this perspective. It's a reflection on one's karma. And it goes, I am the owner of my actions, heir to my actions. Actions are the womb from which I have sprung. My actions are my relations. My actions are my protection. And the fruits of my actions, both skillful and unskillful, I will inherit. So yeah, we might not be able to completely verify this, but you can get a sense of this. And probably many of you have. This isn't rocket science. Have you noticed this? When you have certain intentions and you carry them out, when they're unskillful, they bleed to certain fruits, certain consequences. And when they're skillful, they lead to other consequences. In many ways, it's, it's quite simple. And yet, I want to point out, it's, it's situating our intention as something central in terms of skillful intention. That skillful intention are the kinds of um, things we want to be aware of because then it fuels certain actions. And again, this is where the Buddha points out, this is where we have the most agency. And it's true, if I can sensitize myself to that impulse to speak or to act in some manner, it opens up that space to check in. And notice, what, what's fueling my wanting to say this? What's fueling this action? Is it anger? Is it resentment? Do I want to be passive aggressive? Or is it kindness or is it compassion? Maybe it's a kind of fierce compassion where I need to say something. And the main thing, that this is supposed to be an empowering teaching. So I want to point out, it's not about like looking at my past and seeing what I've done wrong and trying to figure out the things that are happening to me, me now and to figure out if those are the actual consequences of them. Oh, what must have I have done bad in my past life or previously that's giving these bad consequences in my life? That's not what the Buddha was talking about. Rather than looking here at the past, it was more about focusing on the present to notice that the present, yeah, it's influenced by the past, but when I focus on the present, what I can do now, it shapes the future. That's what karma is about. 
what can I do right now that can shape my future? So it's not this oversimplistic idea that I did something bad in the past and then there's consequences that are going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it. The point is, is that there's always something that you can do about it, regardless of what's happened in the past. So one example of this, maybe I say something I wish I didn't say. I say something mean to someone. It has a little bite to it. Or maybe it's bigger than that, I yell at someone. So that's what's happened in the past. Right now, regardless of that, I can make a decision to do something about that. And so in the present moment, I cannot say anything. And then there might be really bad consequences from that. Or I can shape it. I can be like, oh, I'm so sorry I said that. Can we connect around this? To apologize and to see if there's some way that I can make amends to correct that in some manner. And what I do right now with what happened shapes the future. Can I keep this in mind regardless of the mistakes I make to see that I always have this chance to influence? This is karma. It opens up this possibility. It, it situates my attention around something that I actually do and I can have influence over. How much influence can you have around the past? None. <laughs> and yet, have you noticed, is your mind like mine where you can start to perseverate of the, if only I didn't do that, or only if I did do that, then it would be different. But that kind of thinking, when I get in a loop, it is so disempowering. If I want to be a victim of my past, then that's what I should do because it leaves me helpless. But with karma, it's like, okay, that happened. I have no influence over that. I have no influence on the future, but now I can do something about that right now. So hopefully you're hearing how this is an empowering teaching about karma. It's not fatalistic. It's about shaping, just as you can shape the garden day after day. You can't control it, but you can influence it. And yeah, not in complete control, but this is where they have uh, quite a bit of influence. And it's still tough having influence over ourselves. Mahatma Gandhi once said, he said, I have only three enemies. He says, my favorite enemy the one most easily influenced for the better is the British Empire. My second enemy, the Indian people. They are far more difficult. But my most formidable opponent is a man named Mohandas K. Gandhi. With him, I seem to have very little influence. So I want to point out, it can feel like that. Have you noticed there's a kind of momentum with our habits? And it's difficult to get off the carousel or the merry-go-round of those habits. 
So I just want to normalize that. So yeah, it takes patience and acceptance with how this mind's been conditioned to make changes. And yet the truth is, that is where I have most influence around my own actions, around my own mind, around my own emotions. Truth be told, much more than other people's. But it is true, I feel like I have more control over other people than I really do. I wish I did, but it doesn't work that way. So how to navigate some of this, of, of these habits that can be so entrenched, especially in, in meditation. And I, what I want to suggest is to come back to uh, this image of gardening, of where are the conditions where I have most influence. So maybe you have, your mind has an habitual tendency towards anxiety or towards irritation. Or maybe guilt and shame is somewhere where your mind goes to. Or worry or anger. Do you know your mind's habitual tendencies? Judgment. And it's important to know what carousel your mind gets lost on. And then how do you cultivate the conditions with this notion of karma, that there's always something you can do right now around these conditions? And what I've seen, let's just take anxiety, for example, is I need to have a whole skill set here of what I can do right now. Okay, I remember when I worked on a farm, this was many years ago on the East Coast in New Hampshire, is a biodynamic farm. Like to take care of the weeds, there are so many different ways that we would do that. Sometimes with some rows, you could hoe the, the rows and it would work really well. And sometimes if the rows were really straight and spaced really well, and the first time through with the tractor worked well, then you could take through the, the, the tractor to get rid of a lot of the weeds. And of course, this is New Hampshire, it's raining a lot. Everything is growing. <laughs> and then at other times, we needed to just weed by hand which was quite exhausting. But to have all of those skills was really important. And the same thing with anxiety. Sometimes, sometimes just naming it. Oh, here it is again. I know this one, anxiety. Oh, here are the body sensations that I'm feeling right now. And that's different than the thoughts. And when they collide together and I get lost in it, I, I suffer more. But when I see it's just a story that's getting attached to my mind's habitual tendency. Oh, okay, let me take more time with the feeling of sensations here to divide it up. Or self-compassion. Wow, I'm going through a really hard time right now. Can I be compassionate? These are some of these skills that I'm putting in in the present moment to shape a different future. But it takes the habit of that, the habitual tendency of that, of doing that. And I do wanna point out, it is tricky. It's especially tricky have you noticed when you get tired and when you feel overwhelmed by some emotion like anxiety or anger or irritation? It feels like we lose our tools. And do you notice how the mind starts to think about things when you get tired and it feels like some situation is just overwhelming? Like it reminds me when I was farming on this farm in New Hampshire. It was a biodynamic farm, a kind of organic farming. And 
the man who who owns the farm or ran the farm, he went on vacation for, I think, two weeks. And I guess he trusted us. Well, I don't think he trusted me, but the guy I was working with, you know, he grew up on a conventional farm. And it was, there was just way too much work. And I remember one time we were so exhausted weeding. I don't know why weeding comes up. It just felt like there was a row after row of these acres of weeding. And I don't know if some of you probably know, you know, summertime in New Hampshire, black flies biting you. And remember, he came, he came <clears throat> from a conventional farm, so organic farming was quite new to him. And he, he turned to me once and he just said, you know, Brian, let's just go buy some Roundup, you know? The farmer will never know. We're just going to spray Roundup on this. We won't have to weed anymore. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> and, if, and if that farmer is listening right now, don't worry, we never did it. <laughs> But right, have you noticed those kinds of thoughts come up when you get tired around things? Not the best of thoughts, not the most skillful of inter interventions, especially what they're finding out about Roundup right now, you know, in the last few years. Have you noticed your mind do this? And can you come back to the, the things that are skillful? What can you do right now that's going to shape the future? Right? Roundup is going to shape the future in a particular way. <laughs> and weeding in other ways is going to shape the future. It's the same thing with these minds. It's like these minds, there's, it's, it's like soil. What are you putting into the soil? It might not look like you're doing very much to it right now, and it seems like it's the quick fix. But down the road, what is it going to do to it? This is so important. I, I want to talk about the, the misunderstandings of karma. You know, sometimes karma is talked about as a kind of universal or philosophical understanding of how the world works. And what I mean by that is some people take it as, as an explanation of why bad things happen to certain people and why good things happen to other people. And again, I want to point out, that's not what the Buddha was trying to point out. The Buddha was trying to empower us wherever we are in our lives. And there's really no way to tell. Like the Buddha is really clear that karma is just one of the conditions that shapes your life. Like, for example, some Brahmin comes to the Buddha and says, is karma responsible for everything? And the Buddha's like, no. <laughs> Your experiences are shaped by other things like sickness, natural disasters, trauma. And trauma is a really important one. Specifically, it's the word assault. So, so often people can feel like, oh, I, I have a, 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 a traumatized background because of bad karma. The Buddha said, no, there's a, that's just another condition. That's something different than intentional actions. So it's not, it doesn't account for everything. And I do want to acknowledge later on in Buddhism, that is the story, that karma accounts for everything. But that's not what the Buddha, at least in early Buddhism, says. And also, we don't know. You know, it's one of the imponderables of how karma works. Imponderables of, of, are one of those things that we, our minds can never completely grasp. So for example, 
sometimes really, really good people get cancer. And it's not because of past actions motivated by unskillful intentions. It's because they're a human being and they have a body and bodies get sick and old and they die. And so the Buddha is really clear about this. It's not this oversimplistic view in that way. I think that's really important to remember so that we're not using karma to judge others or ourselves. We're using karma to empower ourselves. When we see someone suffering, what does the Buddha ask us to do? To have compassion. So to be clear about that. And also what I want to point out is what I'm doing in the present moment, it requires a repetition to change the direction of my future. The more mindful I am, the more it arises. The more compassionate I am, the repetition of that, the more it arises. The more times I can be generous, the more it arises. And it's not linear in the sense of you know, I might go on a long retreat and cultivate lots of mindfulness, and then I have a number of days of being unmindful. But in the overall scheme of things, it's trending in a certain direction. And just like in gardening, it's not a linear process. So you might be cultivating kindness and compassion and appreciative joy and being mindful. And then some catastrophe happens in your life. And things are just difficult because those are the conditions that are arising. And I think that's important to remember rather than what did I do wrong to make this happen? Maybe it's just a storm that's coming through your life that you have very, very little control over. And yet we can think when the hailstorm comes that it's all our fault. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> It's like taking blame for the hailstorms, hailstorms that can come through Flagstaff. Those are the conditions that arise. And I think this is important in terms of this. We're not in control, but we can influence. So it's the shaping paradigm. So a kind of a poem that speaks to this. I'm going to vary it just a little bit. It's uh, maybe some of you notice, uh, know this. It's, it's really fits so well with this. It's called an autobiography in five chapters. So chapter one, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in this sidewalk. I fall in, I am lost and I am hopeless. It takes forever to get out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. It still takes forever to get out. Chapter three. I walk down the same street, there is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. 
I know where I am, and I get out immediately. Chapter four. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five. I walk down another street. This is the process of freedom. This is the process of kama. Actions have consequences. And then through repetition, it starts to be shaped in a different way. Where I start to have the intentional actions that start to take me down another street. But I want to normalize, we might have to fall in the hole a lot and know how to get ourselves out and to have self-compassion and continue because that's part of the process of the karma that might be still kind of unfolding in a way that we move through. And then whole worlds can open up, our heart can open up in really profound ways. So it's just remembering that every moment there's a chance to shape the heart in terms of our future, of our future of our own lives, our community, and the world that we live in. So let's give it a try. Let's take a minute to maybe two minutes to stand up and stretch and move around and then let's uh, engage in the meditation with this, this idea of shaping moment after moment. Let's come back in two minutes here and then we'll start. <laughs> 